0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. This week, the moon has fallen, but the box office did not rise for the latest Roland Emmerich film. Jackass is once again at the top of the box office charts. We'll get to the bottom of all of that, as well as an update on Spider-Man, how it's doing versus Avatar. A lot of numbers to break down. Plus, with all this discussion about Moonfall, I'm going to take a look at Roland Emmerich, because one thing that I saw a lot of people saying was, why do people keep giving him money to make movies? Let's go back and see just when the last time he made a hit was, and his history of getting funding for his films. We're gonna get to all that in just a moment, but first I wanna thank my partner on the show as it has been for the last several weeks, Carbon Health. I'm happy to have them on as partners here on Charts with Dan. If you are away from your usual healthcare options or if you're looking for a healthcare option that you don't have, Carbon Health is looking to be there for you. Their goal is to make healthcare affordable and available for everyone. You can download the Carbon Health app, see if there is a Carbon Health facility near you. They not only provide the standard medical services, you can also get COVID 19 vaccinations and COVID 19 tests there. So thank you as always to Carbon Health. Very happy to be part. Partnered with them. Let's look at the weekend box office and the top five. Some had thought perhaps there was going to be a little bit of a competition. There was no competition at the box office this weekend. Jackass Forever easily takes the number one spot with $23.1 million. Moonfall in second place under 10 million the the estimates uh, yesterday had it at around 10 million it comes in at 9.8 million a few things not helping factors for moonfall one thing that i think probably hurt all of the movies across the board is the fact that a lot of the United States was under heavy ice and snow this past weekend. I'm sure that it depressed movie going. It made theaters that were open for us to see both of those films difficult this weekend. We had to delay our movie plans by a couple of days, so I'm going to be looking at the numbers, particularly on Jackass Forever this week and then going into next weekend to see were there people who had planned to go this weekend to the movies, did not go because of the weather, but maybe catching up this upcoming week and into the week Something specifically, though, that worked against Moonfall is that because of COVID-19 and all of the restrictions in Canada, their distribution partner dropped out before the movie came out. So Moonfall was not even available to see in Canada. As I mentioned, those numbers do count towards the domestic box office total that we talk about here on the show. So kind of a double punch there for Moonfall, triple punch if you talk about the quality of the film, that really did not help that movie gain an audience. So, an easy win for Johnny Knoxville and crew. Moonfall was competitive, but with Spider-Man No Way Home in its eighth week, which made $9.5 million. We'll look at an update on that one in just a moment. Scream still in the top five in its fourth week of release with $4.7 million, and Sing 2 spending its seventh week in the top five, despite having been available on premium video on demand for weeks now with $4.2 million. Let's look for a moment at Jackass and its history at the box office, and they are generally fairly low-budget films, although they have escalated in quality and complexity as time has gone on. We're now about 20 years removed, believe it or not, from the first Jackass film. This is the history of the Jackass franchise. The top opening film was Jackass 3D with a $50 million opening. A lot of that, of course, coming from the higher prices because it was in the theaters in 3D. A lot of people went to take advantage of that fact. Second is Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, which was, believe it or not, an Oscar nominee For Best Makeup, I love that Jackass, the franchise, has spawned one Oscar nominee. That was a $32 million opening. Then we have Jackass number two with $29 million. Jackass Forever, technically not the lowest opener uh, in the franchise with $23.1 million. That just edges out the opening of the first film, Jackass the Movie, with $22.7 million. Although... As always, if you were to adjust those figures for inflation, Jackass Forever would be the lowest opening movie in the franchise. But again, I think that the weather puts a little bit of an asterisk on this film, and I'm going to be looking at the drop-off next week. We've been seeing that with movies. They haven't had big drop-offs week-to-week by and large, at least the ones that people seem to be enjoying. Let's turn now to Spider-Man No Way Home. A couple of updates on it. First of all, we've been tracking where it is on the adjusted for inflation list, and... And as we thought it would do last week, it has now cracked the top 25. It passes Forrest Gump and The Godfather to become the 25th highest grossing movie of all time adjusted for inflation. I should note these are using 2020 ticket prices. Those are the last full year kind of of ticket prices that we have available. So by the adjusted for inflation rate of 2020, Spider-Man No Way Home is now number 25. It is behind Fantasia, which would be about $30 million ahead. I don't know if Spider-Man's going to get there, but I've said that before, and it has. And then The Graduate at number 23. So this will be one of the 25 highest-grossing films of all time, adjusted for inflation. Another thing that we have been tracking is Spider-Man No Way Home versus Avatar, Will it beat Avatar to become the third highest grossing film of all time domestically? We did a big breakdown of this last week on the show if you want to go and catch up on that. But it held really well this weekend, Spider-Man No Way Home did. It only dropped around 14% weekend over weekend, which is where it needs to be. This is the chart, Spider-Man No Way Home versus Avatar domestically. Keeping in mind that the magic number for Spider-Man No Way Home, is $760 million. You see now it's still, even though that gap is closing, still tracking ahead of Avatar on a day-to-day basis based on both of their releases. It's currently at almost $749 million, which means it only needs about $12-13 million more. dollars. And unless it hits an absolute brick wall, and it's not hitting streaming, it's not hitting home release uh, imminently in the next two weeks or so, I think this hold for this past weekend, that 14% hold, cements really the fact that Spider-Man No Way Home will become the third highest grossing film of all time domestically. And just another evidence that the right movie, even in these uncertain times, will bring people out. It wasn't just all front loaded, a bunch of people going on opening weekend, and that is going to pay off by it passing Avatar domestically, domestically to become the third highest grossing film of all time. Looking at the overall box office, when we compare it to both 2019 and last year, 2021, we see that there was an uptick based on last week. And of course, we're outperforming 2021 handily, but we are still, uh, the 2019 and the 2021 Lines almost met this past weekend, but they did not. So we're still underperforming based on 2019's box office. And I really don't think we're going to see this green line overtaking the blue line of 2019 before the Batman. We have some movies coming out this weekend. I don't think it's going to be enough to move the needle to get it up where it was based on 2019. So still some recovery left to do. Not to say that there haven't been hits. Uh, Largely hits like Scream and Jackass Forever have been lower budgeted hits, which is why even with a depressed box office still, they are able to come in and make money. Uh, But the overall box office still very much in recovery mode, even as we get into the almost two year mark of theaters closing down initially back in 2020 when all of this started. So while Jackass is the box office champ, A lot of the talk this weekend has been around Moonfall. Expectations weren't particularly high for that movie, and yet it managed to underperform even those expectations. And this has been uh, something that I've seen people asking about a lot with Roland Emmerich, particularly because he kind of went on about uh, comic book films, etc., saying that you know they were killing cinema and there were no original movies. And people saying, well, Roland Emmerich's been making the same movie for 20 years, uh, so you know where does he come off uh, saying those kinds of things? Well, first of all, I think that's a bit of a sweeping generalization. For Roland Emmerich's career, uh, but it is sort of a glass houses type comment, and I actually wanted to do some investigation as to when was the last time that Roland Emmerich actually directed a unqualified box office hit—a movie that you could look at and just say yes that was a big money maker and I went back through his filmography we're going to go through it again together right now there may be some movies that you didn't even know about that are in his filmography but we'll start with the movie that was actually according to my research the last Roland Emmerich directed film that you could call an unqualified box office success and you have to go back over a decade to 2009 and that is the movie 2012 which came out in 2009 it had a budget of 200 million dollars a 757 $7 million worldwide gross but soft a little bit domestically, $166 million domestic compared to the size of the movie. The rap reported at the time that the movie was going to net at least $100 million in profits, although it has a very interesting distinction. It was the first movie to cross $700 million worldwide without making $200 million domestically. And when we go back to that era of 2009, it was one of the early movies that showed that the global marketplace was becoming even more important, and then It wasn't just about the domestic marketplace anymore. This is the overriding story of the box office for the past decade plus. The other films that have joined that club, uh, $700 million plus worldwide without making $200 million domestically, of the 126 films that qualify, only seven have done that. 2012, Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs, Ice Age, Continental Drift, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales, No Time to Die, Hobbs and Shaw, and F9. So we have two pandemic era movies, two Fast and Furious franchise movies, which we've talked about, are very globally based. James Bond, which is very globally based. But it is interesting to see those films, and not all of them are considered, I would say a majority of them are considered hits. They just happen to be a little softer domestically, but made up for it with their worldwide grosses. So between 2009 and today, what has Roland Emmerich's filmography been, and why have those movies not been considered hits? Well, let's start with the next movie after... 2012, which came out in 2009, and it's a movie that you may not have heard of. It was called Anonymous, it came out in 2011. The budget was around 27.5 million. It grossed 15.8 million worldwide, only four million dollars domestically. It was bankrolled by Sony. This is a dramatization of the theory that William Shakespeare was not the author. Of his famous works it was a story that roland emmerich wanted to tell it did receive an oscar nomination for best costume design it lost that oscar to the artist and it also lost uh, many millions of dollars despite a small budget 27 million dollars that's pocket change usually for a roland emmerich film it did not make money it was a money loser so that was the first film following 2012. then a bigger movie White House Down, released in 2013, had a $150 million budget, only a $205 million worldwide gross, and a $73 million domestic gross. It was one of the more surprising failures of the summer of 2013. And remember when we talk about worldwide gross, it's not just about the raw number outgrossing what the budget is. So yes, the $205 million worldwide gross is more then the 150 million dollar budget but you have to factor in movie theaters getting their cut you have to factor in advertising promotion etc so we'd want a number more around 275 300 for that movie to actually make money it was bankrolled by Sony domestically it opened in fourth place behind the second week of Monsters University the opening of the movie The Heat and the second week of World War Z back when all of those Sony emails were leaked there was one that revealed that the movie took a quarterly loss of $35 million. So that's just for one quarter of the year. When you look at the budget, you're looking at a promotion and advertising budget of a movie of this size, probably around $100 million. I would say it's likely that more money was lost on White House Down. So that is a big budget financial failure for Roland Emmerich. His next movie was not a big budget, but it was just as much of a failure depending on who you ask. And that was a 2015 film called Stonewall according to Emmerich it was only a budget of about 12 to 14 million dollars it was a story of the Stonewall riots which was an incredibly important moment in the history of the LGBTQ plus community Roland Emmerich is an openly gay man so this is a story that he was very passionate about telling and again despite the small production budget look at this gross $292,000 worldwide 187 thousand dollars domestically this was independently financed it opened in 127 us theaters with a per theater average of 871 dollars if you watch the show you know that that's pretty low but the biggest thing with stonewall is not just the box office figures it was criticized for what many thought was a failure to fully represent the diversity of the gay community at the time. Uh, Roland Emmerich fought back against that. Some of the cast members fought back against that. But it was a consistent criticism uh, from many different sources. It didn't really get much better about a year later when Emmerich was asked about this, and he said, quote, We just got killed by one voice on the internet who saw a trailer and said, This is whitewashing Stonewall. Stonewall was a white event, let's be honest, but nobody wanted to hear that anymore. Uh, That didn't really do much to help things for Roland Emmerich, and so uh, this is not a well-regarded film uh, amongst many folks, despite the fact that it is telling such an important story. So from Stonewall, we go to the next summer, which was the summer of 2016, a much-awaited sequel. Some people might say this was a hit. I'll explain why I don't necessarily think you can put Independence Day Resurgence in that column. The budget was $165 million financed by 20th Century Fox. It made $384 million worldwide, $103 million domestically. So we're talking just over double the gross worldwide than the budget was. But it was a very underwhelming domestic performance. uh, Just cracking $100 million for a sequel that was as anticipated as that was to a movie as beloved as the first Independence Day was. That's not a great number... Especially with a budget point that high, it still made less than half of Independence Day's worldwide gross unadjusted. It would be even more if you were to adjust for inflation. Roland Emmerich later told Yahoo he should have stopped making the film altogether due to script issues that came up after Will Smith declined to participate, so yes, I will say that Independence Day Resurgence does barely meet that minimum mark of double the budget worldwide than the production budget was, but even if it was able to just eke out a profit, I think the fact that it was, first of all, not critically well liked, even though the first Independence Day was not a hugely popular film with critics, this This one was very very much not a film with critics or fans a lot of fans of the first independence day film i don't think really qualifies it as a hit necessarily i don't think it was really regarded as a hit in a lot of corners so i'm not putting it in the hit column for roland emmerich his next film was the last movie he made before moonfall which was a movie called midway it came out in 2019. no hollywood studio would fund this movie this was technically an independent film and when people think independent film they think oh the little small movies, the things that play film festivals like Sundance independent just means that it is financed outside of the traditional Hollywood studio system. So Midway is one of the most expensive independent films ever made. After Hollywood turned it down Roland Emmerich basically took it on the road took it to the Cannes Film Festival, he cut some of the budget in pre-production so the budget was around $100 million it was financed with $40 million from Lionsgate, from Marketing and distribution, reportedly around $24 million in equity from Chinese investors. Despite the fact that this was a passion project and the costs had been cut down a little bit, it only grossed $126 million worldwide and $56 million domestically. That is not enough to turn a profit on a movie that big with a budget that size. So Midway, not a moneymaker. Uh, It was praised for its historical accuracy, so it's got that going for it, uh, but not a hit. So that's where Roland Emmerich came into with Moonfall, coming off of an independently produced film that did not make money. But with Moonfall, the budget was even higher, $140 million. This was an original idea by Roland Emmerich, and again, did not get financing through the traditional Hollywood studio system It was independently financed, reportedly $40 million from H Brothers in China, $15 million from Lionsgate, $15 million from German investors, amongst other sources. Lionsgate also reportedly added about $35 million in promotion and advertising, and it doesn't look like anyone's getting their money back. Unless, unless there is one out for Moonfall, which is that it gets a date in China and does well. Films from the United States have had a tough time getting release dates in China lately, but the fact that you do have Chinese investment in this film bodes well it wouldn't have gotten a date recently because this was the Chinese New Year we'll talk about all those films that got released but if there's any hope for Moonfall to try to turn any kind of profit it's all going to come down to it getting that release date in China and doing well which are two very big risk factors right now so Moonfall another movie I saw a lot of people saying why do studios keep giving Roland Emmerich money to do movies the answer is they're not Studios haven't given Roland Emmerich money to do a movie since 2016 with Independence Day Resurgence. They've actually turned down his past two projects. He's just been able to go out there and get funding independently from other people outside the studio system. The question being now, if Moonfall's uh, fortunes do not improve, he will now have gotten independent financing for two huge $100 million plus projects and taken a loss on both of those projects. So if the studios won't fund him and he's not able to secure independent independent financing anymore on these big projects he may be out of places to go for money he'll either have to make smaller films or I, I don't really know what. So this is really where Roland Emmerich is as a filmmaker right now. He had some high highs. We're talking about Stargate and Universal Soldier and Independence Day. He started out really well, and he's had some other financial hits, but by and large, his movies have been critical failures and financial failures. And I think he's gonna have to work even harder going forward to find financing for these films because it seems like the audience is saying they're just not interested in the sorts of films that he's he's decided to make. And he's one of those filmmakers that has said he is uncompromising in the kind of movie that he wants to make. The result of that may be that he doesn't get to make any more movies. Before we move on, I want to thank the sponsor for today's show and that is Peloton. One thing that I've been talking about here on the channel this year is that 2022 is a year where I am really focusing on my personal wellness all around. And one step that I've been planning to take even before we talked to Peloton about being a sponsor here on the show was getting a piece of Peloton equipment here in the house. I have a Peloton tread that will be here very soon. I'm excited to get it here, to get it set up, to start using it, and it's not just because of the equipment, it's because of everything else that Peloton offers. Peloton has a massive variety of different options when it comes to how I can work out. And one thing that drew me to them in the first place was their commitment, not just to provide one set of classes, but to keep adding new ones, plus new music and ways to keep people like me from burning out. When it comes to fitness and things like that, I tend to get bored if I fall into the same routine, which is why I've fallen out of the habit of staying fit in years past. But you have someone like Peloton who offers not just different classes in running, which I'll be doing on my tread, but also different kinds of fitness, different kinds of activities that aren't just running. It allows me to customize what kind of workout I wanna do, depending on how long I have or how long I wanna work out. It doesn't confine me to just running. I can do things like Pilates if I wanna get into that. Peloton is adding boxing, this year as one of their online options for their classes any kind of workout i want to do there's pretty much some sort of option available on peloton which means that i could work out as many times as i want during the week and never repeat the same thing That's hugely appealing for somebody like me who really needs to keep things fresh in order to stay excited and invigorated about staying fit. I could talk about this all day, but the great thing about Peloton is that you don't have to take it from me. You can check it out for yourself. Just head over to onepeloton.com to learn more. That's O-N-E, P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com to learn more. You can see the kinds of equipment, the kinds of classes they offer. I'm super excited to get started, and I want to thank Peloton for sponsoring today's show. Moving on now, let's look at the Perth theater averages this weekend. And there was a movie that I flagged last week and said, we're going to see some noise at the specialty box office. That is a movie called The Worst Person in the World. It opened in four theaters with a $34,606 average per theater this movie is coming on strong it is a front runner for the international film academy award i think given the momentum uh this could be potentially your odds on favorite different movies have sort of had that buzz tatan did way back last summer it didn't even make the cut for best international film drive my car did uh, earlier but the worst person in the world is the one that's got the buzz right now so we'll see how that one does second was jackass forever which made just over sixty four hundred dollars in each of its three thousand six hundred theaters followed by a film from chad called lingui the sacred bonds this was chad's submission for the Best International Feature Film Oscar this year, although it did not make the short list. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival last summer. Then we have Moonfall, which made $2,800 in 3,400 theaters, and Spider-Man No Way Home, which made $2,600 in about 3,600 theaters. So if you were a theater owner this week, the eight-week-old Spider-Man No Way Home brought you just about as much money on a theater-by-theater basis as the new release, Moonfall. Looking at the specialty or limited release box office, these are movies that were in 1,000 theaters or fewer. For the first time in almost three months, there is a movie at the top that is not licorice pizza. It is a French-Canadian film called The Wolf and the Lion. It's about a woman who raises a wolf pup and a lion cub. It opened in 800 theaters. It was its first week. It made $675,000. But Licorice Pizza was close behind, 786 theaters in its 11th week of release, made $614,000. Parallel Mothers is at number three with 448 theaters in its seventh week of release with $188,000, followed by The Worst Person in the World, as we mentioned, in four theaters with $138,000, and Sundown in 195 theaters with $113,000. So Licorice Pizza so far has done all of its business on the specialty market in fewer than 1,000 theaters. I I think the move that they've been waiting for, and we'll see tomorrow when Oscar nominations are announced. If Licorice Pizza gets a lot of nominations, I think we're going to see it go over that thousand-theater threshold because there are going to be a lot of people who maybe hadn't heard of it or had been putting off seeing it. They're going to say, "Oh, it's up for Best Picture, or Best Director, or Best Actor or Actress, or whatever it ends up being up for." I have to go see it. This is the old way of doing things uh, with the specialty box office. So we'll see what happens with Licorice Pizza tomorrow morning, very early. Let's look outside of the U.S. and Canada to the international marketplace. Basically, this is every market that's not domestic. The number one through five films all from China, and that is because, as I mentioned, not just this past weekend, but all last week was a celebration of the Chinese New Year. It is traditionally a time when China releases a lot of films into the marketplace in china this year was no different and the number one film was a sequel to a movie that almost made a billion dollars last year which is the battle at lake Changjin. it's called believe it or not the battle at lake Changjin 2 it was filmed back to back with last year's film uh, and that is not its full gross we'll see just how much money it made in the last week Second is a movie called Too Cool to Kill, which is a comedy based on a Japanese film called The Magic Hour. It came in under the Battle at Lake Changjin this weekend Battle at Lake Changjin with 153 million, Too Cool to Kill with 111 million. At number 3, with $45 million, is a movie called Nice View. It's a movie about a man trying to pay for his sister's surgery. At number 4, Booty Bears Back to Earth, the 8th film in the Booty Bears series, makes $38.9 million. And then at number 5 is a film called Sniper, at $22.8 million. It is also about Chinese troops fighting American troops during the Korean War. This one was also funded by the Chinese Communist Party, very pro-China. Looking at the top 5 worldwide, numbers 1 through 4 are the same four Chinese films that topped the international box office, The Battle at Lake Changjin 2, Too Cool to Kill, Nice View and Boonie Bears Back to Earth. This is hilarious though. Supplanting number 5 though is Jackass Forever. Which is really almost the most American film possible. So perhaps that's fitting. I, I don't really know what to say there. But Jackass Forever, the fifth highest grossing film worldwide over the past weekend. Let's see where all of this weekend's activity leaves us with the 2022 box office charts. We'll look first domestically. Scream remains the highest grossing domestic film with almost 70 million dollars now, followed by Jackass Forever, which debuts at number two on the charts with 23.1 million. That knocks the three five five down one spot. Number four is Moonfall, which despite its disappointing opening, was able to come in at number four in its first weekend. Redeeming Love drops down two spots to number five. Belle drops down two spots to number six. The King's Daughter drops two to number seven. The Tiger Rising drops one spot to number eight. The Wolf and the Lion enters the chart at number nine. And at number ten, dropping four spots is Aline. When we look at the 2022 worldwide box office, all of the weekends previous to this, we've seen so many different countries with different flags, South Korea, Italy, Japan, the US, China. Well, that's all out the window because there are now two flags on the 2022 worldwide box office, and that's because the Chinese New Year was this past week. And look at the change that we've seen in just one week. The number one film now worldwide of 2022 is The Battle at Lake Shangjin 2, which pocketed nearly $400 million in its opening week. Number two, Too Cool to Kill, which made over $200 million at the box office. Scream, which was the number one film, is now dropped down to number three with $120 million. Nice View has already made over $100 million at the Chinese box office, followed by Boonie Bears Back to Earth with $89.4 million. That drops another Chinese film to number 6, Another Me at 76.7 million. Then another new Chinese film, Only Fools Rush In at 74.4 million. It did most of its business before the weekend, so that's why it didn't show up on the weekend chart. Sniper enters the chart at number 8 in the high 40 millions. Jackass Forever enters at number 9 with 28.7 million. And The 355 takes a big drop, down 7 spots to number 10 with 23.1 million. Before we look at what people are watching on the different streaming services, I always like to do a little bit of a flashback to a previous weekend in box office history. And we are going back to the turn of the century, January 29th through the 31st, 1999. It was the debut of really a landmark teen comedy for people of my generation. The Freddie Prinze Jr. Rachel Lee Cook movie, She's All That debuted to $16 million. And thank God they put a post-makeover picture of Rachel Lee Cook on this poster because... Oh, if they had put her on there with her glasses on and her hair up. Ugh, oh, hideous. Uh, thank goodness we see her after the transition when she became a completely different person. I was certainly, I think, in theaters that weekend and gave it my money. At number two was the Robin Williams film Patch Adams in its sixth week with $14.6 million. Uh, I love Robin Williams. Uh, that's a truly horrible film in my opinion, but uh, some people may like it. I just don't. Really care for it. Varsity Blues, a very important. It was kind of the she's all that for me uh, and my dude friends uh, of 1999. In its third week with 5.9 million, John Travolta in a civil action in its sixth week with 4.7 million, and then in its eighth week, lying quietly waiting to ambush Saving Private Ryan at the Academy Awards was Shakespeare in Love with four million dollars in a release that was somewhat similar to what we're seeing with Licorice Pizza, where it started in a smaller number of theaters, but as nominations and a Awards buzz began to build, it gradually expanded. That was your eventual Best Picture winner later on in 1999. Before we go, let's see what people are watching on the different streaming services, and we will start with Amazon. At number one is Ghostbusters Afterlife. It was previously only available for purchase, now available for rental, and it is number one on Amazon, followed by American Underdog, the Kurt Warner biopic. It is only available for purchase right now, but good enough for number two on the list. Sing 2 available, Premium Video On Demand is there at number three. Encanto available now for rental at number four. House of Gucci, another movie that may pop up at the oscar nominations tomorrow available for purchase and good enough for number five on the amazon list followed by the 355 available premium video on demand spider-man far from home and venom let there be carnage available for rental at seven and eight sing available for rental at number nine and free guy being rented good enough for number 10 on that chart Looking at what people are watching over on iTunes, Ghostbusters Afterlife, available for purchase and rental on iTunes, is at number one. More people buying House of Gucci over on iTunes. Its purchase availability puts it up at number two, followed by American Underdog at number three. Dune is at number four, followed by No Time to Die at number five. Sing 2, premium video on demand, available at number six. The movie Clean at number seven. Spencer... Will Kristen Stewart get nominated for the Oscar? Some people thought it was going to be a sure thing. Other people, not so sure now. We don't know, but it looks like a lot of people are renting that movie on iTunes. It's good enough for number eight. Don't Breathe 2, which came out last year, is at number nine, probably helped by the fact that it was a 99-cent rental last week on iTunes. And then at number 10, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And as we always do, let's end with Netflix with the metrics that they now provide for the week of January 24th through the 30th. These were, first of all, the 10 most watched movies globally on Netflix. At number one was The Royal Treatment with 26.5 million hours watched, followed by the Netflix original film Home Team with 21 million hours watched. That stars Kevin James. It's the story of New Orleans Saints coach Sean Payton. During a particular year in his life at number three Munich the edge of war with 17.3 million hours watched followed by my father's violin which is being distributed by Netflix they've really taken on the mantle of distributing a lot of international cinema that movie is a film from Turkey that is now finding its way into many homes due to Netflix don't look up and its sixth week is at number five followed by the film Amandla in its first week with 7.9 million hours watched. This is another international film from South Africa being distributed by Netflix. At number seven is The Secret Life of Pets 2, followed by Red Notice in its 12th week on the chart, Hotel Transylvania 3 joining the chart with 6.2 million hours watched, and the Netflix original Brazen at number 10 with 5.8 million hours watched. A lot of people watch movies on Netflix, but the real watch hours are on the Netflix series, and there's a new global number one. It's called All of Us Are Dead. It's the first season. It debuted the week of the 24th through the 30th, and it was the number one most watched series globally on Netflix with 124.7 million hours watched. This is another example of a new approach that Netflix is doing. This is from South Korea, but it is a co-production with Netflix. It's not a show that was made in South Korea that Netflix picked up for distribution. It is a co-production, and it looks like following In the Wake of Squid Game, they have another hit on their hands hands i am two episodes into this show and i'm really liking it i'm going to do a review of it when it's done but it is 12 episodes and every episode is about an hour long so it may take me just a little bit to get through the show but i'm really digging what i see so far we talk about how netflix is going to stay competitive perhaps this is going to be one of their strategies teaming up particularly in south korea with creatives in that country and bringing stuff to people's homes That even though it's in another language, which used to be a bit of a barrier, global audiences are going to find and like genre films, sci-fi, zombie, etc., This could be a new era of what Netflix provides people, and also a new era for South Korean talent and filmmakers with the exposure that this is providing. So All of Us Are Dead at number one, Ozark Season 4, Part 1 at number two with 96.3 million hours watched, followed by Café con Aroma de Mujer, the telenovela, at 82.7 million hours. Then we have a quasi-thriller parody series called... The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. It's a take on the girl on the train type thrillers. This stars Kristen Bell, a popular series both in the US and also globally at number four. Archive 81 Season 1 is at number 5 with 36.2 million hours watched, followed by the first season of Ozark at number 6, Too Hot to Handle Season 3 at number 7, I Am Georgina at number 8, which is a reality series that follows the life of Georgina Rodriguez, who is the partner of soccer superstar Cristiano Ronaldo, so kind of a day in the life type series there at number 8. At number nine is a docuseries, multi-episode docuseries called Neymar, The Perfect Chaos. It is about another soccer superstar or football for the international audience, uh, the Brazilian football star Neymar. That's good enough for number nine. And then at number 10 is a Netflix original series called In From the Cold, which is about a former Russian spy who was forced back into the game after her cover is blown by the CIA. So that's what's popular globally. Let's take a quick look at what people here in the US were watching for the week of January 24th to the 30th. The Number one movie here was not The Royal Treatment. It was Home Team, not surprising, since it is about an American football coach and Sean Payton. It was number one, followed by The Royal Treatment, Munich, The Edge of War at number three, Don't Look Up at number four, Eileen Wornos, American Boogie Woman, which is billed as sort of a prequel, uh, though not with Charlize Theron, to her uh, award-winning role, Academy Award-winning role, in the film Monster. From what I've read, not as critically well-received as that movie was. At number six is Annabelle Creation. At number seven, Just Go With It, My Father's Violin makes it to number eight, followed by Journey to the Mysterious Island at number nine, and Amandla at number ten. And finally, the top 10 series that people were watching here in the U.S. Number one was Ozark Season 4 Part 1 followed by the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. I hope that Kristen Bell does well, but I also hope that that falls off the charts fairly soon. Ozark season one at number three, and then at number four is All of Us Are Dead season one. So generally right now a little more popular on the world stage than it is here uh, in the U.S., although we'll see if that grows like Squid Game grew uh, over time. Archive 81 is at number 5, followed by Ozark Season 3 at number 6, Ozark Season 2 at number 7, Too Hot to Handle Season 3 at number 8, In From the Cold at number 9, and Cheer Season 2 at number 10. And that does it for this week's charts with Dan. We have a few movies that are opening this weekend at the box office. First up is one that was delayed many times due to the pandemic, one of the last delayed movies that has not yet been released, and that is Death on the Nile, starring Kenneth Branagh. We finally get that film. I think it was supposed to come out in 2020. We're getting it in 2022. Marry Me starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson coming out just in time for February 14th. And then it wouldn't be the early part of the year if there wasn't a Liam Neeson action film. There's one coming out called Blacklight. So if you haven't yet seen Liam Neeson in an action movie, here's another one. Thank you so much for watching the show. I will be up bright and early tomorrow morning for the Academy Award nominations. I will bring you my take on them just as soon as they're out. What do I think was snubbed? What am I surprised was nominated? I think we may be in for some surprises this year. It's very unpredictable. I'll also have reviews of Death on the Nile this week. I will have a season review of The Book of Boba Fett this week. It's going to be a busy week here on the channel. I hope you'll come and join me for everything that I've got lined up. Thank you so much to Carbon Health, as always, for being my partner here on the show. And if you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. You can also check down below. I have links to my podcast network. If you like listening to podcasts, I have an audio version of everything that I do here on the channel. It's probably available on the platform that you use, so you can check out those links down below. I will see you back here tomorrow with my reaction to the Oscar nominations. Until then, stay safe, and thanks for watching. Bye.